0: In 2012, director Ridley Scott brought us the movie Prometheus, a film that wasn't a direct prequel to the Alien movies, but, quote, shares strands of the film's DNA. The origins of what became Prometheus can be traced back to the turn of the millennium, with various versions of a mooted fifth Aliens movie going through several iterations, and folks such as Sigourney Weaver and James Cameron being attached to the project at different times. Scott's connection to the idea ran hot and cold over several years, but by July 2009, Scott was on board once again as director, satisfied that he now had enough creative control without interference from Fox and could bring his own particular vision to the screen. Scott said, While Alien was indeed the jumping-off point for this project, out of the creative process evolved a new grand mythology and universe in which this original story takes place. The keen fan will recognise strands of aliens' DNA, so to speak, but the ideas tackled in this film are unique, large and provocative. Scott, by this point, had also injected this DNA with a large dose of the ancient astronauts' theory of Eric von Daniken, a powerful piece of 20th century mythology with disturbing roots. As development continued, Scott's statements inched closer to admitting that the new film would indeed be set in the aliens' universe. When the film came out, it proved massively divisive among fans and critics. A sprawling, messy and self-indulgent film, Prometheus baffled with its murky, indistinct plotting and character motivations as often as it stunned with its masterful visuals and grandiose themes. Though it took years to coagulate, Prometheus is not Alien 3. That is to say, it is not a film that failed because of years in development hell. It is categorically not a case of studio interference ruining the artistic vision of a director. It is not a mess because it was a project batted between different creative people over many years. Prometheus is instead the pure, uncompromised vision of Ridley Scott, a considerably gifted director who was at the time well into his eccentric period, who had complete creative control to do things the way he wanted. The result was Prometheus, and whether you find that to be good or bad, you should certainly find it weird and interesting. You're listening to Wide Atlantic Weird, a podcast about why people believe weird things, with a sideline on weird thinking in media. I'm Kean, and this episode is Chariots of the Frauds, science, religion, and ancient astronauts in Prometheus. We are certain that
1: Satanism exists. It's the practice of evil. And following closely behind this car was this unidentified
0: flying object...
1: You will prove the existence of the Bigfoot or Sasquatch by bringing in a body
0: So uh, my name is Kian. I'm coming at you as usual from the Cabin in the Woods Which is uh, located somewhere in the wilds of County Cork We can't reveal uh, just where, but we can reveal just when because it happens to be Salsa's Day Yes, it is, Solstice Day, and it's a horrible, windy, wet one, which is sad because I was planning on uh, maybe camping out outside the cabin (laughs) this evening, but that will not be happening. Um, So yeah, a little bit of housekeeping before we get started. If you like what you hear on the episode, please, please, please help us out by sharing it wherever you find it, on any uh, social media. If you'd like to reach out or get in touch with us, best way to do so is at Strange Ireland on Twitter. We do have accounts on other uh, platforms, but we don't use them very much because they're shite now, (laughs) uh, (laughs) for this episode, we are following up to a degree on two previous ones. So our last episode was about the unpopular Alien 3 from the Alien movies franchise. Uh, So if you're interested in that, uh, please do check that one out. That was with uh, special guest, Mr. Ian Stokes, who knows all there is to know about aliens. Uh, And also we're going to be talking about the, the ancient astronauts theory, which feeds into today's topic. And we did an episode on that last year. Uh, I think it's called Jack London and Ancient Aliens, because obviously we have to find a strange <laughs> strange connection to our, our topics always. Uh, with me today to talk about the incredibly strange movie Prometheus is Mr. Daffy Price of uh, Dragon Horde.
1: Hi Cian, thanks very much for having me. It's, um, it's pretty cool to be here and to be able to talk about this fantastic
0: movie. Uh, delighted to have you on board. And um, once again, I'm always... Uh, bowled over to have many, many creative and uh, thoughtful friends. So, Daph, since you're here, would you like to tell us a little bit about Dragon's Horde and your company? And this is, uh, there's some tremendously exciting stuff going on here that I think people would like to check out. Uh,
1: so, yeah, uh, it's a company that we started pretty recently, myself and my partner. Um, about this time last year, we both got into 3D printing kind of as a hobby um, and to uh, help fuel our weekly games of Dungeons & Dragons. Um, and I wanted to be able to make cool terrain and cool miniatures that people could that, that we could paint and, and, and play with to kind of deeper immerse ourselves in the game. Um and I suppose over time we saw that there just there was a bit of a gap in the market and we decided that we would like to start supplying these to a wider audience. So if you want to check out our, our, our Etsy page, um our the name of the shop is Dragons Horde Games. Um we also have a website, dragons horde-games.com. And um, on Instagram,
0: Dragon's Sword Games. Brilliant. And I do recommend you check that stuff out. If you're a gamer, if you like, uh, for example, if you're into Warhammer or any other gaming that Benet or, or Dungeons and Dragons or any of that sort of stuff, or if you're just interested in fantasy in any way, do take a look because the stuff they're making is is really out there. And, and you're getting uh, models from artists from all around the world?
1: Yes. Yeah, so we have artists from Spain, America, Poland. They all do the three-dimensional sculpts and we then print them out in nice high detail and they're ready to prime and paint for anybody that orders them.
0: Amazing. I'll put a link to uh, Dragon's Horde in the show notes and I do recommend that you take a look if you're interested in any of that stuff. Daph, the next important uh, aspect of the podcast, of course, is we have to talk about our beverages for this evening.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I am drinking a nice can of Heineken. Um, I will say that it's the first time in about six months that I've had a cold can of Heineken. <laughs> Uh, which is which is nice and refreshing.
0: Yeah, so we're not we're not flashing our hipster credentials tonight, as I so often do. I'm enjoying a nice cool bottle of Stephen O'Leary, which is what we call uh, Sol around here. Which is a uh, yeah, uh, Sol. I've always wondered if it was an imitation of um, what's that other Mexican beer that's more oh. Corona. Yeah, Sol is like a a budget Corona. Yeah. Because obviously Corona is on the is on the blacklist at the moment. <laughs> so yeah, we're here to talk about the, the movie Prometheus. The, the famously reviled movie Prometheus uh, got a bit of a bashing when it came out. Highly anticipated. Um, and a lot of fans had a lot of expectations for this one. And those of us who were big into the Aliens universe were excited about it. And when it came out, it wasn't maybe what all of us thought. Just a few stats. So it came out in 2012. Uh, directed, of course, by Ridley Scott, who directed the original Alien back in 1979. It's written by two guys with uh, interesting names, John Spates and Damon Lindelof. And uh, some of the big names in it are Numi Rapace, if I'm saying that correctly. Who was, I believe, the girl with the dragon tattoo in the original Swedish uh, version. Um, um, Michael uh, Fassbender is in this as well. Fantastic. Okay. Yeah, he's, he's, he does himself justice, I think, in this. He... Is part German And part Irish Isn't he And yes, his natural yes. accent Is sort of Kerry yeah, <laughs> Like a toned yeah. down Kerry yeah. um, Guy Pierce, Idris Elba uh, Logan Marshall Green And the very lovely Charlize Theron oh. is, on, is in this as well Always a pleasure to see Yeah So I, I love got, uh, Returning to Movies that were Dissed <laughs> Upon their first coming out mm-hmm. And then trying to come back With another look and see, well, how charitable can we be here? Can we, can we look for hidden depths? Can we see what, maybe what the filmmakers were going for? And I really enjoy a film that maybe isn't completely successful and well-regarded, but has a good heart or is trying to do something interesting, at least. Yeah. So, Daph, what's your history? I asked you specifically on because I know you have a, a history with this film.
1: Um, I think, I suppose, it was probably 2008 or nine when I first started watching the Alien movies, Um, I ran through them very quickly and very quickly fell in love with them. I thought it was such a a simple premise of like a horror creature, but that there was like a a mythos just under the surface, you know, and it was there. When uh, Prometheus was announced, I was excited. I was looking forward to it and I was pretty hyped. Um, And when it came out, it met my expectations. I really enjoyed it. um, And it, it was actually about a year later that I found out that it was being... <laughs> pretty heavily trashed <laughs> yeah.
0: by by moviegoers. They were not happy, and I could not understand why. So, what did it mean for you? What were the big takeaways from you at the time? This meant I, for me. It was I
1: always loved movies that had religious undertones. Uh, I always thought that that was really really interesting. You know, n- not you know things like stigmata and stuff like that. That were looking at religious aspects as if you know, okay, look, it's real, and it's it's kind of crazy. Um, and as well as that, you know, uh, I'm a scientist. Um, I've always loved the idea of exploring space, especially from like a biological standpoint, um, DNA,
0: genetics. Um, so, yeah, it meant quite a bit for me because it, it had all of those things in it. Fantastic. Um, I saw it when it came out. I was living <clears throat> in the UK. I saw it at, uh, in Camden, I think, at the... The, that multiplex that's right in the middle of Camden. Yeah. Odeon, I think.
1: Odeon, yeah.
0: And I I, I was disappointed, I will say. Uh, but I, was, I think I was going through a period where... Almost like a delayed teenage period of just like thinking that <laughs> everything was crap. Did you ever go through one of those? <laughs> yes. Definitely. And you just don't give anything a chance. And you're kind of... Once in a while, something really moves you. And then everything else is just trash. And you're like... Yeah. So I I, I watched it again today. And I had more fun with it than I did back then. But here's the, the kicker is back then when I was a little smart arse, I wrote a extensive snarky blog post <laughs> taking this film to task point by point in the manner of, you know, snarky bloggers from eight years ago. <laughs> it was a good deconstruction. It was. Well, we're, I'm going to return to it today and see if what I think about it, what you think about it and whether or not my, my ideas have changed about this film in that time. Daffy, what is the the central premise for Prometheus? From
1: my understanding, it is essentially... What I I see as being the central premise for the movie is the dichotomy between, you know, what an individual passionate researching scientist is looking for and what a large corporate company who will ultimately fund that are looking for. Um, They come across cave paintings and a number of other historical uh, artifacts that lead them to a particular system in space where they feel that a more powerful species of aliens are living um, that possibly populated our Earth, um, you know, a millennia ago. And they head out to try and find them.
0: Yeah, that's, that's basically the setup. Um, we <clears throat> we'll get more into plot points in a moment. I'm going to briefly talk about some of the stuff I think this film does well and we, we can chip in. So I think it's a beautiful looking film. Yep. Yeah. I think all of the all of the pre-production stuff is completely on point. I think the set designs are magical. I love the spacesuits. I love the spaceship designs. I love the planet they're on. Cinematography is gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Right from the very beginning, you get these shots of um like an a planet in ancient times. Um I I mean I think from the from the context of the film, it it's it's supposed to be ancient earth. Ridley Scott has been on record as saying it doesn't have to be. He's he's implying that the the aliens now, Ridley Scott is is, is an enigmatic presence uh, while discussing uh, Prometheus because uh, the, one of the reasons I find Prometheus interesting is it's not, a, it's not a lazy film by any means. I would say it's not a completely successful one, but it was made by people who deeply cared about what they were doing. This was not churned out by some kind of Hollywood system made by people who didn't care. Ridley Scott is a, a deeply talented and a, and a very experienced director at the time he's making this obviously he, cr- he created the first alien in 1979 and i love when <laughs> well established directors start to go off the rails a bit and this is for me 100 <laughs> he's he is into off the rails territory uh by 20 but he's made a bunch of really questionable films already by this stage yeah absolutely
1: um i think it, any interviews with him he is very he takes a stance of it can be whatever you want it to be. <laughs> yeah, you know, because I think he's at this point afraid to, to nail anything. Yeah, bad, yeah. You know?
0: So the when we're talking about this, there's stuff that's in the text itself, which is like if you were only to take the film for what it is, which is what you know a lot of film scholars do. But I'll also drop in like what's called word of God, which is like when the director says like it's like J.K. Rowling says that Hagrid is gay. Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah. Is that any evidence for it in the film? Doesn't matter. She says that it's true. So some some. People, when they discuss film, they like that stuff. And some people only like to keep to the, the evidence that's on the screen. Yeah. So, so we, we can do a bit of both here. What is canon? What is canon, what is canon yeah. yeah. And he is such a f- frustrating presence when discussing this film because all of his interviews are so unhelpful. where He, like, <laughs> he, he drops contradictory information. Uh, the film itself is quite open-ended in many ways and, and raises a lot of questions. And he just does not help... <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think I think it's
1: kind of twofold. On the one hand, it, the part of, you know, Prometheus and then the subsequent um, Coven, oh, Alien Coven, Covenant, which I also think is a good movie. A big selling point for those is they give answers that were raised in the previous movie. So why would he give answers in an interview?
0: <laughs> well, I, I have a feeling I, I'm torn about as a fan of, for example, the Aliens universe. The original film is very not is very succinct, you know, it's it's a it's obviously a much more low budget film. It was a bit more experimental at the time. They didn't know it was going to be a massive hit. They didn't have a franchise in mind. So it it ties everything up very neatly. And you could argue if you were to be a real purist you would say, that's it, that's fine. Doesn't need any more. Any any more addition to this is a cynical cash grab, blah blah blah. But at the on the other hand, if you're a fan, you kind of want more lore. You want to know. So half of my brain is like, we don't need a convoluted story as to where the xenomorphs came from but then the other half of my brain is like, oh, I like this universe. I want more. Give me the convoluted." <laughs> yeah,
1: I think I would definitely be like that. I want, you know, I mean, I play d and I play Warhammer. I give me the tomes <laughs> of, of lore and background. I I absolutely will eat it up once it has an internal logic.
0: Yeah, it has to, it has to be internally consistent and i do have some queries about that but but i don't dismiss this film entirely it's not a cynical cash grab he, ridley scott deeply cares about what he's doing and it it's a it's his attempt to make and i'll, I'll give him props for this it's his attempt to make an old fashioned high concept science fiction film a what's the phrase i like um i i, I don't i might have invented this phrase I, I might have read it somewhere but it's what i consider um a sense of wonder science fiction yes. which to me is adventure, going out into the universe, that old kind of 1950s, 60s, like, the future will be bright and great and we'll have adventures. And it reminds me of reading Arthur C. Clarke books when I was a kid, like, Rama, Yeah. Or I, the, the 2001 film.
1: I think it's always really fun to watch a movie where you and the characters are going to learn, you know, it's going to unfold for both of you as you go. You know, where they're, they're heading out into the universe and they have no idea what's coming. Neither do you. And I think I think that was one of the most interesting things about the movie. Definitely, I would agree with that sense of wonderment at the start.
0: And I, th- I think for the first half, at least, Prometheus does that very successfully. That's where the, the visuals come into their own. Ridley Scott is a very visual guy. He's created iconic visuals throughout his career. Um, and obviously using the designs from the, the famous H.R. Geiger creature and designs from back in the day. And um, this film is visually extremely striking and, and, and conveys that sense of excitement and adventure and wonder that... It feels kind of old-fashioned now. don't see it that often these days.
1: Yeah, I feel that now it's more kind of Michael Bay stuff where it's like, look, boom, flash, bang. Uh, you know, here's everything spoon-fed to you. And I think that has been and will for the next hour or whatever be my main argument that, <laughs> that, that, that I think audiences these days have become too used to having an entire plot line and, you know, they walk out of the movie and they can forget about the movie.
0: I think another, like other examples of this sense of wonder science fiction, which I find kind of old-fashioned, but that came out in recent years would be Interstellar, yeah. which is great. And I haven't seen Ad Astra, but it looks like it's going for the same thing. Whether or not it succeeds, you could argue. But um, like they're both dealing with weighty topics. And and Prometheus is dealing with religion, faith, science, and the origins of humankind. And whether or not it's successful, you can argue. But it's, it's not cynical. It's not a cash-in. Ridley Scott is a crazy twisted genius who is trying to do something he deeply cares about and i appreciate that the same way i do when you know neil breen or tommy wiseau make a film yeah and it doesn't hit the mark but they damn it they mean it <laughs> I, I think one of the things
1: that stands to ridley scott and to um the, you know the, the writers and it, it shows that they really did care about it and i think it's 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 something that contributed to Maybe some of the, the 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 comments against the movie was there was actually a number of of other things other than the movie that were released. There was a fake uh, Wayland Corp website.
0: Yes, i um, with the with the uh, the TED TED talks. And there was TED talks. Yeah,
1: <laughs> and they they give more information. Um, and it, they also explain why Guy Pearce was cast as an old man. Mm. Uh Because in that TED talk, he he is. Well, oh, that's him younger, isn't it? That's him. Is is, is
0: so that is he supposed to be? His younger self in 2012, or is it? Is it no, that doesn't it, it, fit in with the chronology, does it? it it's him. Um, in the mid-21st century at yeah, some point. exactly. Because um, he's an old man. The, the film takes place in 2090-something, so maybe a few decades before that.
1: Talking about, um, you know, the Promethean fire um, and how, uh, and I, I think it really lays the foundation for him viewing himself as among the gods. Nice.
0: Okay, are you ready to get into some of the snark from eight years ago? Oh, yeah. <laughs> right, so I have a bunch of points here that are plot-specific, and I think maybe these will help guide us through the plot in more detail. So my first point that I was grumpy about <laughs> back in 2012 is alien DNA. And there's, I, I have a picture, I haven't read this in eight years, I have a picture of some, a DNA double helix, and the caption says, Wish I was watching Jurassic Park. <laughs> A <laughs> <One> little bitch. <laughs> so after an admittedly amazing intro sequence with gorgeous cinematography and one of my favourite scores of the year, the music is amazing. It is. It's beautiful. Da, 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 da. It's grand. Yeah, it is. I think that piece of music is just called life. Yeah, and it's it's wonderful. Uh, things start to become a little troubling when the engineer alien, so the the ancient aliens in this film, be, become named the engineers. on on prehistoric earth which I'm presuming sorry Ridley uh, (laughs) releases his own DNA into the ocean the film later hints that the engineers created either A. just humans or B. all life on earth it's not really made clear which is the case this means that either humans are actually aliens and oh yeah I'm getting into some genetic stuff here (laughs) this is super nitpicky basically it means that if if the aliens created us just humans then we shouldn't be related closely to everything else on earth um, or the alien's own personal DNA created single-cell organisms, and then evolution, as we know, it happened after that. Which I think, ha- rewatching it today, I think that's what they're going for. Do you?
1: I think they were not necessarily going for that. They seeded the planet. The planet is shown to having vegetation, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Um, and if there's vegetation, there is life. Yeah. And I think what it was showing was not so much that it was that the pla- the planet was being seeded because it, it's never actually been stated that that's what they were doing, uh, except by the fantastical uh, scientists that that have
0: that theory. but they make the DNA don't they show that the alien DNA the engineer is the same as a human, so we came from them in some in some way exactly so I think
1: what it is is essentially they were muddy in the waters with their own DNA okay
0: that. That's kind of like a halfway house explanation, but it works for me. And you know what? I'm less fussy about this than I was back then. I, I, don't, I don't need to know how alien science works in a film, you know? As long as it's presented... Like, you know, the science in Jurassic Park wouldn't work either, but the script is very good and the actors are good. And they sell it just enough that for the yeah. time you're watching the film, you're like, mm, yeah, okay. I
1: can buy it.
0: Yeah, I mean, like, you probably know more about genetics enough to say that wouldn't happen. Yeah, or, exactly. You I know. mean, I think...
1: For, for me, I think if you're going to sit down and say, right, we're going to apply all the real, real world rules to, to this science fiction movie, you're going to have a bad time.
0: Here's what I said next. I said, how big a problem is this? Not a big one. The film could have introduced some techno babble to explain how the engineer DNA works differently to ours, but that would have been awkward for the script and it's not necessary. He's a goddamn alien. We don't know anything about him. I'm willing to accept that his DNA is just different and can do weird things. It it would have made more sense to have had the alien use some technology to start life on Earth, but the filmmakers obviously wanted the alien DNA, same as ours, motif, to be introduced from the beginning. So maybe a little bit of a confusing way of getting the idea across, but in in a cinematic sense, but not a big problem plot-wise. And that's just us being scientists and being a bit sna- snippy. <laughs> I think so, yeah. All right. So so that's right at the beginning, the, the engineers, creatures, somehow add their own DNA to either create humans or modify life on Earth in some way. It is a bit vague. And then we cut to two archaeologists or anthropologists?
1: I don't think that's what... They, I,
0: I'm, to be honest, I don't know what they actually do. I know they are on an archaeological dig, <coughs> dig in, in, Scotland. in Scotland. And yeah. it's, it's numi Rapace, who is uh, Shaw, and then her fellow is, is Holloway. And I like numi in this. Yeah. I think she's, well, she's good. For the first half of the movie, yeah. Okay, well, I I I I like her in the second half. She does some that's the we we'll, we'll get to it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, she's I like her. She's cool. So they find evidence of, you know, strange beings having visited ancient societies <clears throat> and they they kind of just immediately decide that this means that they created us and they want us to go and find them. They 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 presume a lot here. This bothered me back in the day.
1: Yeah, I think what I will say is we have no idea how long they have been researching this. Yeah. We we see they they like we see them find this cave and find a cave drawing of them pointing to a constellation and they do talk about having found this constellation in number of in a number of other archaeological sites. Archaeological digs don't happen in a month. You know yep. they happen over years and so I think it's reasonable to assume that they have been at this for quite a while.
0: There is a bit slightly later when they get called out on this. And some somebody said like one of the like pointlessly snarky scientists is like, Well, how do you know that this is what they want? And she's just like, Well, because we believe it. And I, I need a little bit more than that. Um. <laughs> um I think
1: from what I've from what I've heard, um, it's essentially I think you need to kind of maybe accept that they're fantastical scientists who, yeah. who are who have a little bit of fanaticism in them. Yeah. Um but as to as to like I, I think that's an instant question. There is so why is it why why did this go ahead? Why would they fund it for a trillion dollars? Yeah,
0: and without reason, stronger
1: evidence, kind without of. stronger evidence. But the reason is um, uh, there's a timeline on the Whalen Utani fake website <laughs> that says that um, a mining star, it's LV four two nine or something. Right. Um, Whalen was actually scheduled to visit that. In and around the time that this trip happened. Okay, so and he was so, going into space um, anyway. He was going anyway, and he, okay. you know, he wanted to live forever.
0: I, I This is less of a problem for me than it was back then. Back then, I thought, they're making a lot of jumps in logic here. Why would they fund this hugely expensive exp- expedition just because these scientists have, like, jumped through a lot of logical hoops to, to decide that? But you know what? All I've learned in the last eight years about human humanity and the, the, the way we believe in things makes this easier for me to swallow now. I actually, I don't have as hard a time imagining that if a big discovery like this was made, people would interpret it in a pseudo-religious sense. Yeah. And I bet people would be willing to stake all of their hopes and dreams on it. And a crazy, rich, eccentric person might sponsor something like this on pretty flimsy evidence.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, this is a guy who, who considers himself amongst the gods.
0: But millionaires, like Christian millionaires, fund crazy expeditions to find the lost ark in, in, in Mount Ararat in Turkey. It's, it's just a science fiction version of that, really. Yeah. Uh, so here's the next uh, snarky point from back in the day. Uh, Chariots of the Gods. And I have a picture of the Chariots of the Gods book by Eric von Daniken. And at the bottom it says, they practically own South America, dude. Which is a, a quote from the thing. <laughs> Um, Prometheus uh, aims to be a high concept Sci-fi movie similar to 2001 A Space Odyssey It's big concept is The Von Daniken idea That aliens appeared back in Earth's prehistory And somehow created or modified life on Earth Now I was not impressed by this back in the day Because I just thought it was like An old-fashioned theory that You know I'd read about it when I was a kid It was very 70s And I didn't I saw it as kind of old-fashioned and irrelevant But It's certainly It's come back (laughs) Yeah. So I I meet people I'm not joking I meet people all the time who believe some version of this. Be, probably the the Ancient Aliens TV show which has been running for something like 12 years now. Yeah. has a lot to answer for and like belief in some kind of like pseudo scientific historical you know super civilization or alien intervention is crazy common.
1: Yeah. Yeah it's really really common and I think it, it, it's just not that hard for people to make that jump, and especially with shows like ancient aliens and they show some stuff and they really do frame it in in an almost convincing way you know they there just seems to be this human need to to look at our history and look at the things the the imagery and say no, I'm not satisfied that that was just us,
0: yeah there there is there are some troubling aspects to the ancient astronauts theory, going right back to von Daniken in the 60s and, and further back as well. And and there is, unfortunately, a lot of racism associated with it. I don't believe that everybody who's interested in this sees it that way. I, You know, I think a lot of people who are interested in this are just interested. They're like, cool aliens and history is cool. Um, there are some troubling implications when you look at the origins of it. A lot of this comes from, if you trace it back... 19th century colonial ideas about people from the colonial powers going off into the exotic parts of the earth and finding these exciting and dramatic um, archaeological uh, areas and then deciding Whoa, no way these local people could have made this you know it must have been you know mystical tribes from Israel or it must have been the Vikings must have gotten to America first or there's no way or it's great Zimbabwe must have been invented by some white people from I'm not messing man this is really this is where it comes from and I don't believe everybody who's into it today thinks that way, but that is the heritage of it. And there's a very sort of a trying to take away people's history from them aspect to it. And the way they treat, you know, like sites in South America and, and Egypt and stuff is very different to the way they treat like Stonehenge and, and European ancient sites. So there's, there's some, I, I should do an entire episode on the history of racism in, in ancient aliens, but that's for another day and i i don't think this film is deliberately tracking in any of that stuff
1: no i don't think so is,
0: they're more interested in the biological origins rather than a cultural one yeah um i do i i, I don't think that like i mean i i certainly didn't know that it happened. Well, most people don't most people don't i think
1: that's really interesting but i suppose it it does make sense because you know even i feel that you know the ancient astronauts theory nowadays um it's it doesn't have necessarily explicit racist or, or anything like that um undertones to it but i do think it says something about people that y- you know they they look back and they just think well no it's not possible that the egyptians built the pyramids yeah that's crazy i mean i saw a really interesting uh interview with an with an egyptologist and she simply said you they weren't cavemen they weren't walking yeah, around yeah. Were <laughs> grunting at each other they were intelligent people super need, sophisticated yeah yeah give them more credit but
0: like, like the ancient astronaut's idea is like a repackaging of older ideas. In, in the 19th century um, and earlier, a lot of American academics, so the, there were, you don't hear much about it, but the the original inhabitants of North America built cities and, and monuments and places. And there was this thing called the mound builders, which was this idea that there were all these um, ancient mounds that were sort of like small pyramids of sorts mm. and... The, the, the people, the, the colonists basically said, yep. no way the Indians built these. Yeah. Must have been Vikings or, you know, out of place uh, Romans or anybody except Native Americans. So they were just desperate to write pe- certain people out of certain stories. And unfortunately, that is the, the heritage of the idea. But like I said, I don't, I don't think most people who are interested in it because of, they d- legitimately find ancient history fascinating and they kind of want there to be some mystical aspect to it.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think the main driver from what from the people I've spoken to who who would be into that, I think the main driver for them is they are believers that there are that there is advanced intelligent life out there and what they want, you know, it, it's this desperation to find immediate proof because, you know, we're not going to f- we're we're not seeing it with, you know, any space space exploration because there's not a huge amount happening. But they, they, they are so desperate for evidence of that that they will look back and they will look at our history and there is already a pre-established community of people that will agree with them.
0: Yeah, and it goes right back to, uh, I know you're interested in Atlantis ideas as well. So, you know, going back to Ignatius Donnelly, <laughs> my, 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 my favourite and your favourite Irish-American Minnesotan congressman <laughs> from the 1880s, he wrote... up I had a, to pick one. If I had to pick one, he wrote a book called Atlantis and the Lost Lemuria. Was that him? No, that was a different fellow. He wrote um the the, the anti World in eighteen eighty two. Good word, isn't it? And that was all about he kind of repackaged the Atlantis idea and basically said, Oh, there was this like one super civilization and they spread out all over the world. And that's why all these other people built pyramids and it was totally white people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I like that was something that during my teenage years I was a
1: big, big fan of this this idea of almost like a Pangaea yeah. civilization that that broke apart, and that's why you know the Aztecs have giraffes in their yeah.
0: carvings. Uh, you know, uh, archaeologists call it hyperdiffusionism, the idea that well, there's no way all these ideas could have occurred separately, unconnected. They must have stemmed from one. Initial, which kind of is how science works. If you want to take like Occam's razor really literally, like you know, you you only imagine any complex idea in biology or culture should only have occurred once by chance.
1: Well, there, there is, there is convergent evolution. Yeah, exactly. Where (laughs) where, you know um, something is evolved. A flying fox and a bat. Yeah, exactly. Um, You know, it's 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 the same trait that just happened to
0: evolve, Mm. Uh, and because where there's a niche. Yeah, Nature will fill it exactly. Where there's a need Cultures will invent so, You know The laws of physics Are only so much That you can only Solve a problem In so many ways yeah. Like you have to Like oh my god The Egyptians And the South Americans Both built pyramids No shit Like Why, why? It's a structurally <laughs> You know It makes sense a <laughs> why, is... why weren't they making Like structures that were like You know Really tiny at the bottom And then Whoa, they make it Half a mile wide On top An upside down skyscraper <laughs> <laughs> All right, so so Holloway and Shaw um get put onto an expedition into deep space to find the planet that the, the the aliens were they think the aliens are referring to, so they've immediately made some assumptions that these people are our creators, and maybe we can learn something some great secret from them about where we came from and on, and this sort of thing, which I've less less of an issue with today because I think I understand people's need to believe more.
1: Yeah, I, I think there's, you know, at the same time, if, if we're going to really dive into it, there's nothing to state that Holloway and Shaw are not two intelligent people who just believe the ancient astronaut theory. Yeah. You know, yeah. That, I mean, we can, we've sat here for 15
0: minutes and talked about the, <laughs> we know enough about Clever them. people believe weird things. Yep. That's why I have a podcast, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. if they didn't. <laughs> so th- what happened? So then there's a, uh, what, do you, what would you, a briefing scene where we meet a whole bunch of characters who are on the ship with them and Mr. Wayland appears via a hologram and he's an aged man who's hoping that they'll find some information to help him live forever which is another crazy assumption he's made obviously these aliens will be able to do that but again I have less of a problem than I did back then with this and we meet some really obnoxious characters who do kind of ruin it a bit for me. The guy with the red mohawk thing. Oh, the, he, he he's, is, just, he's, <laughs> he's a geologist. And because he's a geologist, he has to be a hard badass. Because rocks, right? Uh, but he's like in every... It, it kind of goes into slasher movie territory. Where like, you know, there's one character who hates the hero just because. Yeah, here's the tough guy. And what I said, what I named this section back in the day was Mr. Scientist. <laughs> which you might recognize from an old South Park. Yeah. Uh, in Team America... <laughs> The main character, an actor called Gary, joins the titular team only to find out that one of the other members, Chris, acts inexplicably hostile towards him. Chris's irrational and over-the-top nastiness towards Gary is Matt Stone and Trey Parker's way of spoofing this kind of character in films. They feel that such characters function as a cheap way to bring more attention to a script uh, and their motivations for hating the main character is always something arbitrary. In in Team America, Chris has an aversion to actors because he was raped by the cast of Cats. (laughs) (laughs) Ooh, <laughs> yeah, uh, and yet Prometheus finds Ridley Scott using this hoary old trope without irony. When Shaw and Holloway meet the crew, the geologist and biologist pair immediately act like complete complete dickwads for no reason. One of them actually says, "I'm not here to make friends." <laughs> so uh, that's straight out of South Park. <laughs> it is.
1: Uh, I think, but I do think one of the one of the points that people made about it is, you know. So these guys, this geologist... And the other, <laughs>
0: he even uh, calls them Mr. Biologist at one point. <laughs> I,
1: I think, like, a geologist, unless so a biologist, why are they just saying, yeah, I'll drop everything and go on a space mission to an unknown planet?
0: And you're not telling me what it's about
1: until I'm two about. years into a mission. Yeah. I think, you know, we do have to understand that it, they are Weyland-Yutani employees,
0: and they are probably being paid millions. i I See, I'm assuming that... Like, space travel is still expensive and difficult, yeah. and therefore only the best of the best people get sent. You know, you've got... Like, today, if you're an astronaut, you have to be... you have Firstly, you have to be a fighter pilot, and you have to be the best, and you have to be fit, and you have to be a, a scientific genius, and all this stuff. And it just... It didn't work for me that... Like these guys would never ever end up on a mission like this and would you say you wouldn't send this guy down to the shop to get you a box of cigarettes I, just <laughs> just just to put it out there i mean
1: the current american president i know you know i think whilst we may feel that there should be certain qualifications for a position yeah. that is most certainly not always the case and you know like okay well like we could say you know Whalen Utani, they are they're these guys are employees of that and people at the top of an of a, of a a, a business hierarchy are not always the most competent
0: people. Yeah, I don't know. I I, I feel like he's just using this for cheap like, like cheap drama. I don't think he's thought about, as much about it as this myself. It yes. feels like a, a slasher movie thing. Yeah, more than likely. I mean, or like, a teen romance movie thing, where the baddie just hates the goodie for because he's the baddie. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I, as
1: much as I want to stand behind this movie, it's those characters that yeah. make it really difficult. For me.
0: They're they're the thing I'm still most annoyed about. Yeah, because it's just cheap writing, isn't it? Um, some of it is, in my opinion, so so like.
1: Uh, I don't even know what the word is It goes so against The rest of the movie Yeah When you have a biologist He's like Oh it's a snake I'm going to put my
0: I'm going to pet it (laughs) I'm a biologist It's a snake with a vagina I I would be cutting out (laughs) On an alien planet Where we know Which we know nothing about Yeah Oh man Yeah everything those guys do Is just Literally everything I think the biologist Should be more excited to go Yeah And less stupid When he gets there And when they get there And you know Holy shit aliens And they lose their shit And they want to leave and it's like, dude, you're a biologist in space. You should be thrilled. This is yeah. like... This is it, How I mean. did you end up in this job when <laughs> you have no interest in what you're doing? All right. What do you think of this one? Um, they get to the planet. They land on it. It looks a little bit like the planet from the first alien, maybe in better weather conditions. Yes. <laughs> it's gorgeous. The cinema, The landing is brilliant. Yeah. Idris Elba is, a, is the captain and he does a damn good landing. <laughs> It's a fine land. Yeah. Oh, and, and Charlie's Theron is, is on board. She's the daughter of, of Wayland. The way too young daughter <laughs> of, to yeah. be his daughter. And she looks grand in her flight suit. I will say, no, yeah. she's a it's, handsome woman. To be fair, now, And um, they land and there is a structure on the planet. Yeah. And it looks like they argue about whether it's natural or whether it's uh, constructed because it's made out of like mud or rock or something. Yeah,
1: it's like solid rock.
0: It's like a dome with a kind of a fence or like a, a wall around it. It looks like a skull coming out of the ground. Yeah, and in fact, later on in the film, do you notice one of the like part of it is shaped like a, a an alien skull?
1: Yeah, and when I first saw it, they're like, "Is it natural?" I'm like,
0: well, "No, <laughs> <laughs> that skull was just <laughs> carved by erosion." <laughs> yeah,
1: that's that's this that's the stereotypical skull erosion. That so there's to.
0: a bit where they're getting ready to go on a mission into the into the structure. And one of the guys who the film has just decided is a baddie is, like, bringing some weapons. And Shaw says, oh, we don't want to bring weapons. And then you're supposed to think that, he, like, she's the goodie, so she's right. But, like, seems like a pretty good idea to yeah, me. I mean, I you don't know what's down there. It, it is a cliche, but I think it's, it's,
1: it's if it, this was ever come to fruition, it is a cliche we would see. It is a military guy saying, no,
0: I'm bringing weapons. And a scientist saying, no, we shouldn't what. bring weapons. I'm a scientist, I would say... A yeah, I, I don't think I'd be hoping we weren't going to use it and start an interstellar war. But
1: yeah, but I think at the same time that with this this whole thing, like the scientist always argues, we yeah. don't want to seem hostile. Yeah.
0: How... They're not going to know what a gun is. Yeah. How is an
1: alien going to go, well, clearly that's a pipette and clearly that's an AR-15, so I'm threatened by the AR-15. No, they're going to be threatened by any kind of technology that they don't understand.
0: And then, like, the film wants us to think that she's the goodie, so she's right, but she's totally proven wrong when they get there. It's like a scary, hostile place. <laughs> and the stupid asshole with the with the Mohawks is like, oh, I'm glad we didn't bring any weapons now. And he's fucking right. Yeah, he is. <laughs> For I, once. I mean, he, he is just so... Disgruntled.
1: He is a geologist who has just found a potentially natural cave system, and he's like, Ugh, "Guess I'll scan the place." And he's just—he's so unhappy about the whole thing. I don't understand it. Um,
0: so I'm skipping a few points because we've mentioned them already. But uh, Shaw again acts like a dumbass and puts everybody in danger. When well, so she she they find. What did they find inside in the in the structure first before I get to this point?
1: It was pretty uneventful until I think they find the doorway with, yes. with with the um the engineer with no head.
0: Yes, and they've seen they've activated these holograms. Yeah. Which are cool. The special effects in this are pretty great throughout. There. I don't always like what the engineers look like in close-up. They're a bit Gollum-y, kind of a bit.
1: I, I feel like they're like if Gollum got jacked and, <laughs> so, and someone carved him out of marble.
0: But I, I love the holograms. I love the the drones that they use for mapping the structure. Yeah. Those are great. And the thing is, what I like about them is like they're futuristic, but they're not crazy. Yeah, I, I can imagine us having something like that in a few decades. Yeah. Um, so they have to leave because of a dust storm.
1: What I, I think we should just touch on, though, is um, uh, this is like the first time David
0: mm. does anything. We haven't mentioned David. David is, um, what's his name?
1: Uh, it, it Fassbender. Michael Fassbender.
0: Fassbender, and he's he was kind of the breakout star from this film. In that, a lot of people who didn't like the film said, "Well, I liked Fassbender in this." Yeah. So he's David, and he's a synthetic created by Wayland. Yep. And there's a lot of they're playing with a lot of. So he's. He's named bloody David. So you've got Michelangelo's David, yeah. you know, this creature created by an artist who's yeah. the perfect human. Yeah. And you've got David from the Bible. Yeah. Uh, and, and, oh, yeah, there's so much allegory going on here. It's Christmas.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, Idris Elba's I putting up a little Christmas, Christmas tree. Christmas. Right. What happens at Christmas? Right. You have the rebirth yeah. of the savior. And you've got this running subplot about Numi Rapace being unable to conceive yeah, and then obviously there's going to be a pregnancy, but not the kind she was hoping for. So <laughs> morp, I, morp. I, I'm being a bit silly, but I I liked all this stuff. I mean, it is a bit ham-fisted sometimes, but what know. I would say is, there there is an awful lot of
1: allegory in this. Yeah, um, and <laughs> the Covenant has about a hundred <laughs> times.
0: Yeah, the allegory. it's crazy. Yeah. One of my notes says like I don't know whether or not we'll do a separate episode for Covenant if we get around to it, but Ridley Scott. Doubled down on every single thing that was like crazy about Prometheus, yeah, and if exactly. I went into Covenant honestly, thinking he took a bit of, bat- of a battering last time, I bet he'll tone down some of that weird stuff. Double down, D- double double the fast bender, yeah. fast bender like making Literally. out with himself. If I, is that does that happen? Um, he does something. He doesn't make out. He just gives him a kiss. <laughs> You know. <laughs> With it's, a flute <laughs> Yeah there's a flute Doesn't or... he stick a flute In his mouth or something And yeah. play the actual Theme and song from Prometheus And <laughs> teaches him And then he gives him A good manly kiss <laughs> On the lips It's fine Oh man That is such an insane film but,
1: but It is But the The allegory in In Covenant or, Sorry in um, Prometheus, Prometheus I love Yeah um, You know that David Is also The Promethean fire Yes You know because because you know on the on the fake website, it talks about David and how he actually has an a built in desire to learn, yes, and it's a very human trait and you know if if you just edited out the bits for like the first half of the movie where they talk about him being a- being a synthetic, you would not, know. and I think that's that's what I enjoy about it. It's like he is the gift of life he is what Whalen has given. Humanity, which contrasts beautifully with what a dick he is to his daughter, (laughs) who
0: is Charlie's son. Yeah, yeah. I do do like that subplot where she's clearly jealous that he is the chosen child who gets all the attention from Wayland, and Wayland has all of his expectations for David, not really for uh, Vickers, her name is.
1: He he says it at the start during that briefing scene. He's like,
0: David is the closest thing to his son. Yeah, yeah, he does, yeah. (laughs) No wonder she's such an ice queen. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Oh, the, the next uh, the next point is called Asshole scientists get lost And I have a picture of the Scooby-Doo gang <laughs> and, and the text says Derp, let's split up You come with me Vilma so, <laughs> This is where my defence of the movie breaks down <laughs> uh, So the next thing that the asshole scientists do Is when everybody discovers That they have to leave The asshole scientists have just wandered off Somewhere into the dangerous Unknown alien structure Without anybody asking what they were doing Later on it, it transpires Nobody knows where they are and in a scene worthy of Scooby-Doo It then transpires that they are lost uh, This, Despite the fact that the movie has taken great pains To show us that they themselves had earlier mapped the entire place Using, you know, wicked badass flying drones And, like, they're, talk, they're literally talking to Idris Elba on the ship And he is looking at a giant map. holographic yeah. map of the whole place And he's talking to them Even, even after the storm moves in and, and they can't be rescued And they still, they're, they're, they still get lost I think I think this this ionic
1: storm that comes in is is literally whoever wrote it
0: halfway through was like oh shit they mapped it that's right storm they but, can't talk to Idris anymore but they don't even he's they're still talking to him even during the start there's a bit of static there's, but he's uh, looking he, they show I, I'm sorry but I checked this out he's looking at the map while he talks to them yeah and they're I, I, supposed to be lost And he's telling them Where things are He's telling them There's a life form You know half a click Away from you Yeah So but he if, knows if, if I'm not
1: mistaken isn't Doesn't interest Elba Like his character Shows a very uh, uh, um, What's the word Like you can't really deny There's mm-hmm. a very serious level Of disinterest In helping them You know, you know like Would you help them you No know, <laughs> Consi- Considering Like you, you want to talk About
0: Scooby-Doo They literally walked away And got high That, that they had a floored me that. Like you're on a dangerous world, you, you, you don't a know what's going on around ecosystem. you. Ecosystem. I'll, I'll burn one up, bro. Yeah, get blazed. <laughs> um,
1: but like, yeah, no, Idris Elba. Definitely, at some point, I remember he, you know, <clears throat> the static cuts the map out, cuts comms out, and he's like, well, "I guess I'll have some whiskey."
0: It's more like I think I'll go and shag Shirley Theron. <laughs> so it says uh, on the on the blog post, how big a problem is this? The the two guys getting lost. Any scene that makes me think of Scooby Doo when I should be thinking of two thousand one Space Odyssey has got problems.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I suppose one thing we 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 maybe haven't thought about is space travel may still be difficult and expensive, but it is certainly established. Yeah. And perhaps the best of the best are already out on other missions. And, yeah. And it's literally kind of the B team or the C team who have been signed up and handed a fistful of cash to go. And they're, they're all disinterested. They but
0: part of the original Alien film, like part of what made that different to sci-fi that came before was earlier science fiction always showed space travel as, yeah, this big glorious voyage, step forward into the future. And the first Alien is more like, no, space travel is like being a trucker and it's yeah, boring exactly. and it's full of these working class people who just, just want to make a buck, you know? like that you know at the start of Alien when they all wake up out of the pods and they're like oh fucking company yeah. hope we get off work soon and they're like drinking co- like bad coffee in this kind of grotty cafe, t- cafe and and Ridley Scott even though he's going for the Space Odyssey kind of vibe with the interior of the the Prometheus ship he also tries to hark back to that kind of iconography like there's a grotty yeah. cafe scene when they wake up again one of the weird Things I have trouble with Is the characterization Of Idris Elba He keeps saying I'm just, I'm just a captain I'm just a captain It's like they're trying To cast him as He's just the They're the scientists They're, they're the intellectuals He's just the You know Roll up the sleeves Hard work and blue collar guy Like as if he's an engineer Or something But like He's, he's piloting this Like Gigantic yeah. Millions of dollars well, I am- Spaceship
1: I imagine that's pretty Heavily automated
0: yeah, it's yeah, like, it's just a funny. It's a weird.
1: It is weird, but I, d- I do think that this portrayal of space space travel is the most likely. I mean, you know, if 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 we get to the point where we can reliably send a ship out into space and have it bring people back, it's going to be mining. You know, there are asteroids out there three kilometers wide that are riddled with diamond and gold and made of pure silver. There will be no scientific exploration. Not for a while. There will be mining expeditions.
0: Maybe that's one of the problems with the film is we're not given any indication of how established space travel is. Is this normal that humans are going off to this faraway place or is this one of a kind?
1: No, I don't think it is because given... Now, what I will say is that this should have been included in the movie, definitely. But the the fake website for Whalen Corp does have a timeline and around the same time they were going to research a mining planet.
0: Okay. So
1: what, yeah. I would, what I would say is, yeah, it's probably a done thing. And no one is to say that Wayland is the only company doing it. You know, yeah. Surely there's a form of NASA. You Maybe, know, it yeah. Is, it isn't all just, you know, aliens, Ridley's version of Tesla.
0: I mean, I was assuming that this was a singular voyage, you know, and that some, nothing like this had ever been done or at least this was, um, they were going further out than people had ever gone. But yeah, you, you, I guess the film doesn't commit either way. Yeah, taking the film on its own, uh, taking yeah, the text I, on its own. I don't think it should. Right. <laughs> what did you think of the scene where, uh, Charlize Theron comes onto the captain? <laughs> <laughs> I,
1: I maybe does cryostasis. You know, like, was she just kind of? Did she need something? You know, um, I I don't know what what to make. But I I feel like. What they try to do sometimes with these is like, oh, all the people are locked in a box together.
0: They want to have sex. <laughs> these two are going to have sex. Well, they're, they're both beautiful people, but they are. it it felt out of left field. It didn't. Yeah. We know nothing about her except she's kind of a nice queen and she's angry at her father. We don't. It just felt out of character but for suppose, both of them.
1: I suppose. Yeah, She. she you know, she has got daddy issues, we could, tell you, know, oh, like, you know, and, and Idris Elba is the disinterested kind of dick, you know, who's like, I don't care about any of you people. I'm here to make money.
0: I can, you know, like, you know, you can see why they wouldn't maybe be drawn together. It felt weird. It felt like the reason that happened was so that he could not be on the bridge when the two guys were calling for help, <laughs> which, again, is kind of slasher movie territory and the reason they're calling for help is because they wandered into a terrifying spooky chamber full of these weird containers that are oozing creepy black liquid.
1: I have so much to say about that that room. Okay, go for it. Um okay, so one and and it's it's to fault the movie. They don't in any way shape or form even hint at what this is, right? The black goo, is it a weapon? Is it a is it a is it like a, a wonder chemical? They never explain it. As well as that, when they pan around that room, there are murals
0: yeah. of a xenomorph. Yeah. And according to the internal chronology of these films, the xenomorph shouldn't be a thing shouldn't, yet? Shouldn't exist.
1: Now, that's led to so much speculation. Oh, fan theories. Which, which I have definitely partaken in. <laughs> but one of them is that, essentially, the black goo is a genetic, like, stimulant. And people have... Because there is literally... In steel on the wall is an engraving of a xenomorph. Is it... There's one of two things. Is is a xenomorph the final...
0: My final... You see me in my final form. Exactly, yeah. Is, is, is that what all things tend towards? Were they aiming for that deliberately? Did they know they wanted it? Why is the... Ze- like... This film ends with, like, a proto-xenomorph. And then Alien Covenant has other kinds of pre-xenomorphs. Yeah. um, They're not radically... How is the xenomorph, like, that much better than the proto-xenomorphs? Because. As a weapon. Because. Because. It is. Because the audience has been obsessed with xenomorphs since 1979. (laughs) And they're excited to see one, damn it. Yeah. Absolutely. (laughs) That's for the reason why. But, I mean, I watched Covenant. And at the end, I was like, woo, xenomorph. Yeah.
1: Apparently, that's not the xenomorph. That's a proto-xenomorph. Because there's something... I think it's too small or something but at the end of the day like why was it on the wall? Is it because that is what all things tend towards when introduced
0: with this? So Idris Elba later like guesses that the place is some kind of weapons depot Mm. which it's weird to me that it's him who comes up with this because he hasn't left the ship he's not interested (laughs) in the planet he's the only one who's not a scientist or, or an anthropologist he just wants to do his job and get up go home and yet the movie gives him the kind of common sense speech at the end where he's like This place is dangerous Just, just get out And he, But he's probably The one closest to the truth When he says This is not a good place It's some kind of Weapons depot They're not here to You know Teach us some truth About the universe but It's I mean, It's a trap of some kind
1: I don't know I think I think he is the guy You know I'm just the captain I just call it how I see it Maybe I, that's why He can see the truth But I don't think It's a weapons depot Because mm. why Okay so One Why were those Um what happened uh, on this site
0: where these, the, the um, what are they called? The engineers. The engineers. Because they're all running around. They were running away from something. Something bad. Well, all we know from the holograms is some, somebody says maybe there was an outbreak of some kind. Something bad happened. The goo uh, yeah, we escaped think, and yeah, got into exactly. everybody.
1: We think, oh, the goo
0: got out. They ran into a building
1: filled with the goo. I don't know. You know, so I I don't, I think, I think there's something, you know, to go even a tier higher. Did the xenomorphs, you know, are the xenomorphs to the engineers as the engineers are to humans? Yeah, I think so. You know, like, are they, were they created or are the engineers the highest tier or were they created by someone even more powerful?
0: I think the engineers created the Xenos. It's just that the way in which they are created is so torturous
1: I mean, I don't know. I mean, like having murals of them yeah. on the walls. It I, really
0: implies that they're they're aiming to create those as the final form,
1: or because they're trying to imitate their own creators. Oh, maybe just like ooh, ooh. just like the just like the engineers. just asking questions, man. Yeah, <laughs> but like, okay, so so the engineers <laughs> created the xenomorph, trying to imitate their creators, right? Mm. The engineer uh, humans created david to try and imitate their creators
0: you know uh, that's a parallel the film is completely going for yeah exactly all the way through and there's a i really like the scene where david is talking to holloway and says you know why have you come here and he's like because we wanted to talk to our creators and he's like well what if you meet them and you know they're just pieces of shit and they don't care about you and then he's like well what if what if a human said that's you i really like that because yeah I think that's the core of the film. And I think the the if the if the film has a thesis it's like if you're looking for your your creator, your daddy, your your god, you will be disappointed because they're just another fallible being. Yeah, exactly. And don't expect some magical secret of the universe from them. And you know, it's like that thing when you're a little kid and you think that your parents only exist to serve you and because of you yeah, and, yeah. and then slowly you're like oh they have their own life and they you, they existed before you did and they exist for reasons besides you. And, mm-hmm. you know, for some people, that's a, a hard thing to accept. And like, I'm not religious myself, but I think that this film is trafficking in religious ideas. And, and for me, religion is uh, sometimes I feel when I'm being uncharitable, I feel like it's a, a kind of a childish w- desire to have some kind of certainty. Yeah. Like you want to look up to a sort of a parental figure who's got everything in hand yeah, it's it's to get that security yeah. back. Yeah, and that's um, what this film is about. And and he's telling them, David is who is a creation of humans is telling the humans, like, <laughs> like you think you're going to go find your 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 daddy and he's going to be perfect and you'll you'll get some kind of eternal peace. Like I don't get my eternal peace. Like Whalen created me and he's a
1: douchebag. Yeah, uh, not even that. <laughs> but I mean,
0: um, uh, H- Holloway
1: all through the movie makes a point of being a dick. <laughs> David yeah and, yeah. And, and it's, and why it's, is that the whole crew do yeah. it's because they can they look down on him they can because they, they think you don't have feelings you're you're a synthetic I can say whatever I want and you can't get upset by it and it, like, ultimately it's, it's a novelty that brings out some really barbaric behaviour from
0: yeah. humans and when you transfer that relationship to the engineers and humans we never find out it's a big source of controversy why do the engineers turn on us and become you know murderous to humans but like because they can Because Yeah Because they're not perfect It could be could be anything It doesn't matter They're just They could be just shitheads Yeah Or Maybe they're scared of us Maybe they think we'll eclipse them someday But the point is You, you don't look up to them And hope that they'll be some sort of Like God effectively Which is what we're asking from them Which is what yeah. Shaw In particular and Holloway Holloway gets really grumpy and douchey after he finds, he gets to the planet, and most of the engineers are dead. And he realizes they're fallible, and he gets really despondent because he wanted a god.
1: Yeah, he yeah, yeah. Uh, that's actually a really good point. He wanted God. He didn't want to find a building. He wanted to find a throne. You know. And yeah. That's what he was looking for.
0: So there, there is interesting stuff in this film. Whether or not it's well handled, your mileage may vary, as they say. <laughs> online, <laughs> I think. The, I think the, the core thing about this movie is if you have to sit down
1: and say, oh, let's have a talk about this, I'm going to defend this movie, does that automatically
0: make it not a great movie? I, I think there's stuff in this film that makes sense on a thematic level, but not on a literal plot level. Yeah. There's a lot of things in this movie that just happen because the plot needs them to happen and <sighs> that that lines up all of these little al- a- analogs, analogies that Ridley Scott wants. He wants yeah. David and the humans to be like... Um, the engineers and the humans he wants he wants the xenomorph to appear at the end of a complicated life cycle yeah and uh, he wants shaw and holloway to believe that the engineers will be like gods and he doesn't bother sketching in all of those details but you kind of have to you kind of have to feel it <laughs> <laughs> rather than expect uh, the dialogue isn't doing the heavy lifting here no
1: <laughs> no no i think the imagery is Yes. You
0: know, more than anything
1: else, like the like the thing is, you can see that that's where the effort has been put in with the movie is the sets,
0: yeah. the shots. But uh, on the other hand, I'm going to turn around to myself and say, sometimes the dialogue is too vague, but sometimes it's way too on the nose. Like they do constantly say things like, well, it's about faith or, you know, you can't be a sceptic. They're using very direct words to, to, like, they're basically stating the themes to each other quite frequently. Hanging a lantern on them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, What was I, my next point from, from back in the day was about the quarantine scene, right? So there's a mess inside in the structure and Holloway, is it Holloway who gets infected first? He gets infected by David. Yes, by David. Which we'll, we'll get to. Mm. But he, so they're, they're coming back into the, basically everything goes to shit because the two idiots pet a Penis vagina snake <laughs> did, did you think that the, the black goo Infected the little worms that were in the soil And made the snake I mean, Nobody knows how the goo works So it's just up in the air uh, The goo From what, <laughs>
1: from, what, from what we saw in Covenant is a, is a genetic accelerant
0: So it's a weapon right? Do we think it's a weapon? No I, don't, I disagree I don't okay. think it's a weapon
1: I think it is It's like if, if humanity found the philosopher's stone or something
0: Right Like they're going to figure out like it seems to do different things depending on what the plot needs because yeah. David infects Holloway and he he his skin gets gross and then he dies and then he comes back as a kind of a rage zombie
1: yeah, so I think one thing we we can say is that if it's if it's put into like an established genomic makeup, yeah like a human, it alters gonna, them, it's going to disrupt right big time, but I think when it like you know he had he had relations with Shaw, yeah, while and then he was she infected.
0: But it affects her completely differently. Yes. And it, it, it creates this very, very new form of life. Yeah.
1: Right? Um, because it, 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 that is something we saw in the previous Alien movies, one, two, and three, that when it combines with something, like, there's a scene where it combines with a dog.
0: Yeah, in Alien 3, yeah. Yeah, and there's a chestburster, and it's like a dog thing. It's different, and the final form is different depending on what it comes out of. Yeah. But then you... So when it comes out of her...
1: It's like a crazy octopus thing. octopus thing, right? And it's like there's different elev- evolutions. It's kind of like, um, I'm not sure what the best way to put it is. It's kind of like the essence of evolution. It's like evolution liquidized um, and accelerated. And Where
0: do you think the snakes come from? That's, a, that's an issue that I've had before. Did you notice there's this when they first go into that chamber? There is this sn- There's a, the, the camera lingers on these little like worm things. So in the I'm, soil, if I'm mistaken, flatworms can go
1: into a form of stasis. Yeah. 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 So we know that that room was pressurized and in, in stasis because the head was perfectly preserved inside yeah. that room. So perhaps they were. F-
0: but surely the the, surely the snake things are somehow connected to the goo because they go inside. Yeah. So I think people and pr- and then the, the life cycle continues from there.
1: I think um, the flatworms or whatever they were got infected with the goo. Yeah. Um, and they became those
0: proto like, facehuggers, <laughs> yeah. I guess. Yeah. And then the 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 goo the snake or the octopus thing that comes out of Shaw Which
1: like is all it kinds of crazy I mean. grows
0: enormous somehow mm-hmm. it gains like masses of biomass from somewhere. Well, we could we could. And then... Pulls some crazy science... Infects, a, at the end, a engineer and then creates a proto-face. Like, do they plan this? Is this the only way to get a xenomorph eventually? I don't know. I, I think... I
1: think maybe...
0: Or is it by chance? I think the
1: xenomorph in its truest form is, like, the apex of evolution. And I think that's why they kind of almost worship it. And I, I, I feel like maybe is that why they created humanity, if they did, just purely as...
0: As part of the Necessary cycle To create xenomorphs
1: Yeah
0: And if so Why? So After all this Goes down inside In the structure They're carrying back Some wounded members Of their party To the ship And Primarily Holloway is going nuts Because he's been infected By David And Vickers won't let him on Right? Ostensibly In case he infects People on the ship She's played as the Cold hearted one here But in fact she's dead Right? Of course, astronauts who pick up unknown ailments while on alien planets. Uh, Now, we know he was infected by Daniel, but nobody else does. Um, Shouldn't be brought back onto the ship. But Vickers just picks up a flamethrower and starts... Anyway, um, the the problem with this is that... What's really disappointing about this is Ridley Scott tackled this exact same dilemma properly in the first Alien because there's a scene in that one where Ripley refuses to let infected crew members back onto the ship and, you know, insists that they go through quarantine. And she's right, because that's the correct thing to do. And we're supposed to side with her for being sensible. Whereas in this film, we're supposed to side with Shaw for being kind of like kind hearted or, or, or you know, but, but it, it doesn't, unless, unless somebody says it's fine, we can, we can keep him in quarantine on the ship.
1: Yeah but nobody mentioned quarantine She was just like No he's not coming on Yeah Flamethrower
0: Yeah So like the, Either either Shaw is right Because there is a procedure For doing quarantine On board the ship And just nobody mentions it Yeah Or everybody's an idiot And I, I just It's really disappointing Because that exact scenario Was done properly In the first Alien By the same director
1: Yeah and that's a good point I think um, But also That that Alien movie Takes place Decades after this one And I, there might not have been A procedure for Off world because yeah. off-world infections means off-world life, which they've never come across.
0: When, when the Apollo astronauts in 1969 came back from the moon, they were put in quarantine. Like, yeah, because we didn't know.
1: Uh, but they might be working under the assumption, like, these people are absolutely, like, holy crap, there's life. Like, bacteria, viruses, their life. They don't expect there to be anything contagious out there, any kind of pathogen, you know? Like, the, the The worst that Shaw could be assuming that this is, is some kind of allergic reaction.
0: I don't know. I, I, I just have a hard time with it. I feel like we're making excuses for it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, <laughs> I think excuses, it's bad, right? At the end of the day,
1: quarantine, regardless. Yeah. Like, there should have been a, at least 24-hour quarantine between going out of, to that place and coming back from there. Especially considering they took off their helmets.
0: <laughs> Do you know what? I don't mind that scene because... When Holloway takes off his helmet, it's presented almost as this religious moment of ecstasy where, yeah, okay. because they've just found this planet, like, if we accept that Shaw and Holloway are almost like religious... I think there's
1: definitely an analogue, they're like a scientific analogue for religious fanatics. Yeah,
0: they're like religious fanatics and, and their their theory has been proven correct that this planet exists, there's a structure on it, the, the engineers exist, and that moment of the, the air is breathable and it works for us, it... it it's almost like it has religious significance if you want to look at it that way. Well, I think it confirms a lot for them. that yeah. They think
1: we're here, the home of our gods, and we can breathe the yeah.
0: So, yeah, he's, in terms of, like, being on a scientific mission, he's behaving in a way that's irrational. But emotionally, I get it.
1: Yeah, okay. I, c- I, can, I can buy that.
0: And, and, and this, this, why I'm being kinder to the film than I was years ago is largely because I'm trying to read it on an emotional level instead of a strictly plot-based one. Um, right. By the end of the film, right, a lot of things have been set up in place, which oddly parallel the beginning of the first Alien. Yes. Now, this is interesting. Again, Ridley Scott shows up to be unhelpful because before the release of Prometheus and even after it came out, he was going around telling everybody, no, it's not a prequel to Alien. It might be in the same universe. It's like a sidequel, you know. (sighs) So he he's totally hedging his bets here. Yep. But when I was in the theater watching this, I was like, oh, they're setting up the beginning of Alien because the planet looks kind of similar, right? And um, except in worse in, in better weather, it's <laughs> the same system. Yes, in the same system, yeah, the system. there is a donut shaped um, uh, engineer ship yep. that's crashed, yep. and inside it is a big round chamber with the 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 dead. Uh, space jockey in the seat, in the seat with the giant gun thing
1: yeah I don't right? know what that I'm assuming uh, it's
0: a gun I'm, I'm assuming it's just a, a, a way you pilot the ship or so maybe it's a gun so it says here I wrote here towards the end of the film it almost seems like Scott is setting up for the beginning of Alien we've got the deserted planetoid the downed engineer ship uh, that has the same shape as the one from Alien which we find out late in the film the space jockey in the cockpit and the proto-xenomorphs running at, running around I had no doubt that most casual viewers were certain that this was in fact the scene setting the scene for Alien. Then the ship blows up and the space jockey flies away, so this can possibly be the case. Now, I know the planet from Prometheus is not the same one as Alien. It's not a secret or a twist. Early on in Prometheus, we're told the name of the planet. It's LV-223, which is different from the planet in Alien, LV-426. Although, as you know, same system. It's just that for viewers not overly versed in lore of this universe it's easy to think they're the same place after all they don't they they don't look overtly different casual viewers will probably overlook differences it's not a big problem but it's an example of confusing storytelling why does ridley scott end with a sequence that almost fits with the opening of alien but not quite since it's not the same planet and not the same spacecraft why not have the designs clearly show that why not make the planet or the ship look very different in some way Why does everything look so similar to Alien? Is it an attempt to confuse? What's it supposed to achieve? Not a big problem, but in a movie already plagued by murky plotting and and character motivation, weird parallels like this strike me as adding to the confusion rather than strengthening themes. What do you think? think Am I being too harsh there?
1: No, I, I think I would completely agree with you. Um, for a casual viewer, for even even for a not so casual viewer, I think a lot okay. of people afterwards thought, "Well, you know, it's at the stage for, for alien, but maybe the like I think the similarity in the ship design that is establishing an internal consistency for the
0: engineers and for their architecture." And their yeah, I've less of a problem with that now, thinking back on it.
1: As for the planet, is it maybe a clumsy attempt at internal consistency, saying, "Oh, it's the same system."
0: I think it's more like thematic. I think it's just supposed to remind you of Alien. Just remind you, hey, it's the same universe. The same way the the, the opening sequence where they come out of the, the pods and have their coffee that that's supposed to remind you of the first alien
1: and i do think it contrasts nicely like you know when i when i think of the first alien movies i think a very confined claustrophobic
0: industrial industrial
1: spaces and and it's it's nicely contrasted with the wide open extremely natural environment beautiful of the planet yeah um and yet he's still able to bring that panic that kind of clenched muscle sort of you know, fear that comes from from when one of these xenomorphs is attacking someone, because it's so voracious and so very capable, it does bring that kind of like I I, I would have no problem. I wouldn't be bothered by watching a creature feature like this. But when you watch them and you think, God damn, if that was real, <laughs> that's it. We're done. Like one of these things, we're done.
0: Yeah. Um. One thing I have noted here is. So, uh, David. What do you think David's motivations are? Why is he going around infecting people randomly with the goo just to see what happens? He's doing it...
1: Uh, I, I I feel that as much of a cop-out as it might seem, most of what David does can be answered by because Waylon
0: told him to. And that, that I didn't realise this, but there's a, a short scene where he's being given orders yeah. by someone who you can't see, but presumably it's Waylon.
1: But I, what I think what is also important to note is that I feel it was kind of subtle... Yeah, but he hates
0: Wayland. He's clearly like planning something. He 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 has
1: realized. He has learned. My creators are dicks.
0: <laughs> Just like humans are going to realize. So has he learned? Has he has he got the opposite? So at the end, by the end of this film, Shaw is clinging to her faith. Like she she picks up the cross again. Yeah. Even for everything she's learned, and the captain is telling her, even David's telling her, don't keep trying to expect something good from these engineers they're clearly bad guys your faith is leading you down these dead ends has david learned the but she continues she's like no i'm a human faith is important to me no matter what has david learned the opposite lessons he's like i accept that my creators are useless and i'm going to be independent i i think
1: uh, yeah i think absolutely i think david has by the end of it not only said my creators are useless and i'm going to be better he said he i'm going to be What they
0: wanted to be. He wants to be a god. And ultimately, as we know, he goes on to be a god. Kickstart the xenomorphs in his own way.
1: Yeah. And I think it's it's a really interesting dichotomy. Yeah. Between the scientists and, you know, how eventually they're almost driven to faith.
0: Do you think Waylon is telling him like, "Oh, you found some black goo, did you? Do you want to just try, (laughs) just like"? putting it into stuff to see what happens, putting it into people to see what happens. Maybe that'll give me immortality. <laughs> Maybe, yeah, I mean, absolutely. But I think, I think Wayland is probably at the
1: point where he's, he's used to relying on this very intelligent synthetic. And, and he'll he try does. anything. And he'll just say, well, David, stick around. Yeah. Find, find out what it does. Just
0: Again, I find that less of a problem than I used to. I used to be like, that makes sense. No, why would you think that way? But, but it, I think it actually strengthens
1: some of, the thing, some of the other things that we spoke about. Uh, Wayland is very quick to say yeah give it to some of the crew members i.e. he doesn't value those crew members he wouldn't wouldn't have sent the best of the best he sent David yeah and that's it and he doesn't care about anybody else that's what this whole thing comes down to that that entire this entire mission is Wayland sending David none of the scientists matter to him none of them he doesn't care about any of them he sent David
0: and that's it what do you think is the just kind of coming to my final notes from today what do you think this movie's take on religion is? Ultimately, is it in favor? Is 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 religion a good thing or a bad thing? And like think about think about uh, Shaw at the end. She she picks the cross back up. She sticks to it despite. I think
1: what he wants to do is take, take, you know, especially with scientists, you you get people that kind of sneer at people that are religious, and I think what he wants to do is sort of almost state that it's uh, religion is waiting there at the end of science you know that it's almost inevitable that when you run out of of things to to figure out when you are eventually faced with that thing that you can't explain are you going to just revert back to religion
0: yeah maybe yeah and i think he's saying it isn't necessarily a good thing but it is a human thing
1: I don't know. I don't know. Is he saying that it's a human thing? Because I think that those murals that the that the engineers have harken to a religious aspect, and I think it's it's uh, almost I never thought that, of that yeah, yeah. that they're almost like religion is like a universal thing right, nice that. yeah. You know? I like that that when people I've always said like, like I I mean I have good things and I have bad things to say about religion, but I think that religion for a very very long time in humanity's history has been a coping mechanism to be able to deal with the unexplained. Yeah. And when you're dealing with high, like, you know, sci-fi and they run out of explanations, they go back to religion. And it's almost like this inevitable thing. It's like
0: it's waiting there at the end of science. One thing I have to say is when I was a kid, I used to get alien comics out of the library from the early 90s. And they had like stuff that's all this film throws loads of stuff out of canon. Like the, the creature in the alien ship from the first film used to be called like in years of aliens lore was always called the space jockey. And in the comics they some they, they meet that race and they you know the kind of elephant like trunk on the mask? Yeah. That was actually what they looked like. That was what their face looked like under the mask. <laughs> so that's all not canon. Right. We better we better come up with a conclusion. This is me writing years ago. I said so there you have it. I tried to cut cut the movie as much slack as I could. I do like it when a movie doesn't tell us everything and doesn't give us all the answers. Uh, I try to see Prometheus as a movie that's primarily about visuals, themes, and atmosphere, not necessarily plot. Some movies are like that. 2001 Space Odyssey is a movie that isn't particularly focused on plot or dialogue. In fact, it's quite a hard watch for that particular reason. Sections of it are extremely open-ended and psychedelic, and it doesn't spoon-feed the audience by making it clear what's going on. But the interpretations a viewer might have as to what is going on don't require ridiculous leaps of logic. And furthermore, Prometheus, in terms of genre and format, is not a freewheeling psychedelic story taking place in some fantastic world. It's presented as a fairly conventional plot-driven movie um, taking place in some facsimile of the real world. So that was kind of my frustration. I had difficulty seeing it as a, a Space Odyssey-type thing because it seemed like a much more conventional film, but I'm seeing it more as an emotional uh, and thematic thing now. But it still, it still has a lot of like I say, Ridley Scott doesn't even know <laughs> what the answers are to some of these problems.
1: I think I think an important distinction to make with it is, you know, I think a lot of people throw around the phrase plot hole. Yeah. And ultimately, a plot hole is where something in the story contradicts itself. Yeah. Not where something isn't explained, and I think the movie is rife with a lack of explanation. <laughs> I, I feel like it was almost like this kind of Frankenstein together thing where there are these fantastic parts. There are glaring problems, but there are fantastic parts. And it, it almost feels like a proof of concept or something.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm always happy to talk about something that's interesting rather than something that's run of the mill. Yeah. I, I prefer a sort of a failed experiment than a, a, a kind of a chuck it out crank it out kind of a no thought thing yeah. so not a lazy film by any means but a a, a rather eccentric product by a, an auteur director who is going off into some strange directions and would went, would go on to double down on all of them in <laughs> Alien Covenant <laughs> Daph thanks very much for talking to us about uh, Prometheus my pleasure uh, wonderful to have you I'm sure we'll be on again so uh, once again if you'd like to check us out online best place for that is Twitter we are at Strange Ireland thanks for listening and stay safe we are certain that Satanism exists it's the practice of evil
1: And following closely behind this car was this
0: unidentified flying object you will
1: prove the existence of the Bigfoot or Sasquatch by bringing in a body Thank you.